Did Oregon State really do that? Did that Oregon State really do that? Yeah, they did. So what now with DJ Uyunglele? Let's go. Our Locked On Pac-12, your daily podcast on the Pac-12 Conference. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Locked On Pack 12. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, you are number one source to stay up to date with our beloved Conference of Champions, which is why, if you haven't already, please like, comment, subscribe wherever you listen to or watch this show, which today is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs, helping you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college. That's linkedin.com slash locked on college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. And my man Carter Baines of BeaverBlitz.com, where he's a senior writer and editor, is joining me today. And Carter, do you think Oregon State was using LinkedIn jobs to uh, find their their next quarterback? Or do you think they did it a more conventional way? I'm curious as to your thoughts. Hey, I've used LinkedIn jobs myself, so uh, I, I can vouch for for just how useful it is. And if Jonathan Smith was out there on LinkedIn posting job applications for uh, for Oregon State's <laughs> starting quarterback job, more power to him, because uh, I think that would be a, an all-time first. It would indeed, and it's also an all-time first that the Beavs have gotten DJ Uyunglele out of the portal, something that I talked about here on the show as a very real possibility when he first put his name in the portal he was tied to ucla i thought that would have made a lot of sense they've of course gotten dante moore coming in as a true freshman in college Schley from kent state cal maybe made some sense you know because he's from the state of california but i i always said carter i thought oregon state was the best place for him because he goes from clemson firmly in the national spotlight where an 11 win season is like frowned upon over there that's a team, that's a coach that's got a high profile, a lot of expectations, also much more quarterback-centric, right, with what Dabo Sweeney does over there with the Tigers. Now he comes to Oregon State, a program that is right now on the rise under Jonathan Smith, but still, this is the first time they've been in the national news media spotlight in, in quite some time, shall we say, in, in, in this sort of way, with this sort of addition. He goes to a less quarterback-dependent offense, but still, I think, a quarterback-friendly one. What, what do you think this says about where Oregon State is as a football program that they were able to get this guy? And, that, you know, he didn't live up to the hype totally at Clemson, but there were still a lot of teams that were going after him. I've been saying for, well, really since this season started looking like it was heading in the direction that it did for Oregon State getting to 10 wins that uh, we knew Oregon State needed a quarterback, but we didn't know how attractive it would be. Um, and I think what Oregon State did in winning 10 games quote unquote a quarterback away uh you know finishing in the top well it, it could be a top 10 team when when the final rankings are released we'll see how the other bowl games shake out um but i think oregon state really put on a show for transfer portal quarterbacks i, I think the beavers um marketed themselves in a way that was conducive to landing somebody like this whereas you know as we sat here almost a year ago talking about Oregon State's chances of landing JT Daniels it seemed like it seemed like a little bit more of a long shot everybody was shocked when JT Daniels was on campus at Oregon State watching practice and considering the Beavers as a potential destination 
Um, now, you know, we're talking about Oregon State being in the mix for Hudson Card, Keaton Slovis, DJU, and sure enough, they land one of them uh, in DJ. I, I think Oregon State, the trajectory that the Beavers are on is so clear and, and obvious now and, and what they just did winning 10 games, getting to a bowl game, beating an SEC team. Um, you know, I, I think that was kind of the, um, yeah, I think that pushed them over the edge as far as, you know, establishing themselves as like a legitimate team that people want to come play for. And, you know, to, to all the college football fans out there who are, who are down on bowl season, could not be us. We don't engage in, in such jibber-jabber here on, on Locked On Pac-12. The Beavs doing that to Florida. Yeah, it was a, a depleted Florida team. But if you're a team that wants to, you know, have the respect of, of college football fans outside of the West Coast, because I think Oregon State really all season long was kind of the – the, the best kept secret in, in terms of a good team. And I think that, you know, being Oregon State and also losing to USC and Utah back to back kind of helped them fly under the radar in that sense. But the Las Vegas Bowl, yeah, it's not getting a, a huge viewership number, but you have people from SEC country who are watching and you say, well, this is not a very good Florida team. And it's the SEC against the Pac 12, is this really going to look that way? I don't think going 30 to 3 in that game with, with Ben Goldbranson back there getting somehow the game MVP going for 164 and I think it was two two total touchdowns, right? Like seeing that performance, I don't think that 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 can be discounted here in, in factoring into DJ's position because like you said, getting to a 10 win season, like that that means something. We talked about that going into that bowl game, but then doing it in that fashion Yes, against a depleted Florida team, but what would a good team do to that Florida team? Exactly what Oregon State did. And I think that helped kind of push them over the edge as to why DJU said, yeah, that's that's the team I want to go play for. I agree. I, I would argue, actually, though, that, that the thing that pushed DJ over the edge is, is probably his brother, Mateo, committing to Oregon and, and signing with the Ducks. Um, I'll, I'll be honest, you know, as, as somebody who covers Oregon State, even getting to 10 wins, even beating an SEC team, you know, pushing the program to the heights that it reached this year. Um, I, I don't know if if one year level success is enough um, to, to sell your program. I, I think it's a great starting point. It's just a matter of Oregon State maintaining that now and, and you know, using that as, as leverage to get uh, a continued surge of, of high-end talent. Um, I think it was a factor for sure, but I do think that there is an element of Mateo being in Eugene, DJ being in Corvallis that was really attractive to the Uyangalele family. And I know that uh, that big Dave, their their dad is has been very vocal about um, how excited he is about it. So I, I do think that, you know, had we seen Mateo play somewhere else, maybe DJ doesn't come to the state of Oregon, but I think, you know, that was probably the, the, you know, not nail in the coffin, but the, what, what pushed this over the edge. Um, and, and, you know, the timing of it too, you see Mateo sign on Wednesday and DJ commits on Friday might be a coincidence on the timing, but, um, but I, I tend to think that that was kind of a, a deciding factor there. Yeah. Big, big Dave is the man he's, uh, he's, he's pretty awesome involved, but not in like an over-involved, kind of kind of dad wait just like like super fan 
kind of way for, for both of his kids. And, and that's certainly a factor for, for some of these guys who want to be able to have their parents easily get there and they're going to fly into the same airport when, you know, they're, they're from California originally. I think his parents are, are still living down there. It's one of the reasons USC was, was in the mix until the very end, but having both kids there makes it very easy and very consistent for, for the parents to, to be able to get there. So I think that definitely could, could have played a factor and, you know, who doesn't, who doesn't want to go against your brother in one of the biggest games of the year, regardless of how the seasons are going for both of those two, programs I, I think that's it it'd be it'd be it'd be appealing to me if if my brother and i were both you know former five-star recruits who kind of had our our pick of the litter for the most part of where we could go to play our college football playing against one another i think would be more fun than than playing together but you know, i think that's a, very much a brotherly brotherly thing but um th- there's another thing about oregon state that that this says that i will tell you after i talk to you about my friends at LinkedIn Jobs, helping you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster and for free. Every new potential hire for a small business feels like a high stakes wager these days, and you want to be 100% certain you have access to the best qualified candidates available. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. Go in there, create a free job post, only takes a few minutes. Add the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you are hiring. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college. That's linkedin.com slash locked on college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. So the the other thought I I have with this DJU move, Carter, um, is when when you when you look at Oregon State as a program, and for those of you watching on YouTube, I definitely just made a little technical glitch there, and I will try to get rid of that as as quickly as I can. Um, when when you look at what this means for Oregon State, this is not the sort of quarterback candidate that you are going to be able to get a couple of years ago. This was not the sort of quarterback candidate you were going to be able to go after because it just it, it wasn't even on a team's radar when, when you're trying to get into that national conversation into that spotlight as Oregon state is what, what is a player acquisition like this in your view say about where they are at? Well, I think it's huge. And I, I think actually this can build a lot of momentum going forward. Um, I, I had a conversation with, with an Oregon state fan and, and a former writer at, at Beaver Blitz a couple of days ago. And he mentioned, you know, Five, 10 years from now, there are going to be kids from St. John Bosco in Southern California that remember that DJU played at Oregon State and they say, oh, I want to go play at that school because that's where their you know, hero in, in some ways, I'm sure, uh, went, went to school. So, you know, you're building these pipelines in Southern California and, um, you know, in certain communities by bringing in high level talent. This isn't just limited to DJU. We've seen this develop uh you know via the the prep Oregon state oregon state has opened up pipelines to texas and to florida over the last couple of years they went back into hawaii for the first time in years uh in, in this 2023 class so i think oregon state is tapping into some some recruiting hotbeds um that it hasn't been able to get into in, in right. the last couple of years and i think that recent success uh is is a key reason why i do also think oregon state has really really strong recruiters on its staff. Uh, the recruiting staff is made up of former players. 
the coaches themselves come from all over the country and, and have ties to, to Florida, to Texas, to Southern California. I think what Oregon State is doing now, recruiting, of course, the, the crown jewel is, is DJ. Um, I, again, I think it, it speaks to Oregon State's success on the field, being able to sell that, but also uh, the talent that Oregon State has on its recruiting staff. Going after a, a quarterback like DJU, just imagine it. Imagine thinking about that when Jonathan Smith took over. Like it's un, un, unheard of. Right? I mean, you can't go after someone who may not grade. I've seen what twenty four seven puts him as in terms of how many stars he gets in in the transfer portal. But someone who was at one point in time a five star recruit and, and did show glimpses. Of it. Like overall, I think the perception of him is kind of negative because he wasn't able to live up to the bill entirely at Clemson but it's not like he was all bad at Clemson they just have the highest of high standards like he was the primary quarterback this season and sure he got benched several times for for Kate Klubnik but he he was the primary quarterback for a team this season that won the ACC and is an 11 and 2 football team at at the power five level and when he had good games Carter it was oh is that is that an NFL guy? But then when he had bad games, it looked like he just wasn't quite there, you, you know, reading the defense, processing what 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 reads he needed to get to. Like he he wasn't understanding that element of, of it because from a physical traits perspective, he's got everything you could need. He's decently mobile, but he's big. He looks big. He plays big, and he's got a he's got a big arm. Accuracy can come and go a little bit, but. I, I think that what Clemson asks of their quarterbacks, think about Trevor Lawrence, think about, you know, when Deshaun Watson, when they were, were there, they were the focal points. So what we know about DJU as a player right now is he's not capable of being the focal point of the offense that has it run through him. You know, like if he went to Washington, I don't think he'd be able to have that sort of success in Kalen DeBoer's system. But at Oregon State, Carter, I, I feel like he's in the perfect spot because the Beavs don't need someone who can go for three to 400 yards a game, maybe twice a year. It'd be nice to see that if, if you're Oregon state, but really they need someone who can just be in like the, the, the two thirty to two fifty range consistently because Goldbranson, you know, his floor was, was pretty low, at least over, or at least over, over the last year. And if DJU, I think can just raise the floor a little bit. I don't think he needs to blow the ceiling of the quarterback production out, out of the building. No, I, I I think this is a great fit for for both the quarterback and and the program. When I look at what DJ did at Clemson, I I do genuinely wonder how much of it was on him and how much of it was just on his situation. You know, I, I think that coaching. Um, I I'm not going to sit here and praise Clemson's offensive scheme or or their offensive coaching ability. Um, I I don't necessarily think that DJ's skills and, and talents were necessarily being utilized uh, to their potential. It's also a new coaching staff or a, a new turnover at the coordinator position. Um, they like to hire in-house so you don't really see outside ideas come in. I don't necessarily know that DJ was set up for as much success at Clemson as he might at other schools. I'm not saying Oregon State's going to get everything you know, out of him. I, I don't think or has necessarily developed quarterbacks at the level you would expect from coaches like Brian Lindgren and Jonathan Smith. But Oregon State does a great job at tailoring 
its offense to the tools it has. And I think that's how this, um, I think that's how this becomes really successful for both quarterback and program. I, I think you see Brian Lindgren dial up an offense that utilizes a lot of RPOs, gets DJ into positions where he can run it a little bit, um, but doesn't shy away from the run because remember Oregon state still has an elite offensive line, which only got better this week when it landed Grant Stark out of the transfer pool. Damian Martinez, Trey Lowe, Deshaun Fenwick, Jam Griffin. Um, but I think the, the key now is, is getting, getting a little bit more out of DJ in, in, in the deep passing game. Cause the deep passing game hasn't been there for Oregon state. Um, not necessarily, you know, relying on him to like 250, 300 yards per game, but, um, you know, using him to dial up plays that you weren't going to get out of, out of Bengal Branson and, uh, you know, just creating a more well-rounded offense that isn't going to rely on handing it off 35, 40 times per game. And I think that's what DJ brings, you know, he's, even if, even if he doesn't live up to the quote unquote five-star potential that he had of, out of high school, um, he's still going to give you enough to, to unlock parts of your offense that you haven't had in the last year and a half. Um, and, and really, I think that's all Oregon state needs to get to the next level because there's a, a defensive, a, a defensive team that ran the ball. Well, if you're a defensive team that ra- that runs the ball, but can also unlock a, a deep player two or three per game, uh, you're probably going to win 10, 11, maybe 12 games. Yeah, I, I think all the pieces are there, and there's a lot of returning production for for Oregon State coming back next year uh, as well. But it will be an adjustment for DJ. Like I, I think he can succeed at Oregon State, but it's not as if it's a plug and play because this is a completely different offensive system, Carter. There, I think exclusively out of the shotgun over there at, at Clemson. He's going to be under center a lot. He has to understand how to get into the, the the right checks and the right situations and the right plays and audibles and all of that is is different. I hope your power is not going out over there, my my, my friend. Uh, it, it might very well be. We've got fifty mile per hour wind gusts. The lights are flickering like crazy. I I don't know if my connection's all that. Um, fingers that's, crossed, uh, we can get through the next like ten minutes of this. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's it looks really bad if you're watching on YouTube. Yeah, fast fast times at Ridgemont High. So, I I think there will be an adjustment, but I just think it's so much easier. Like he was asked to throw the ball often, 30, 35, 40 times. I I don't think in Brian Lindgren and Jonathan Smith's perfect world he will ever need to do that. But what they're trying to get rid of with with this addition of of DJU is something I'll tell you about after I talk to you about my friends at Bet Online. Got to keep you on your toes. Sorry, everybody. Bet Online is your number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there, from pro football to college bowl season to basketball and beyond. We've got it all at betonline.net. If you love sports podcasts, you can find those at Bet Online as well. We're always the fastest and easiest way to get your betting information. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. Bet Online is where the game starts. The thing that Oregon State is trying to get rid of Carter by adding DJU is those or are those instances where Goldbranson is, you know, against Oregon, for example, only completing six passes. It worked in that game, which was a remarkable coaching achievement, but that is not sustainable 
over the course of a 12, 13, or 14 game season if things really start to take off for, for Oregon State. You have to get rid of the games where, you know, Washington, right? I think that's probably the best example because you had Chance Nolan for – I don't think Oregon State was beating Utah. Even if DJ, you'd been a quarterback, Utah was just a better team that day. Like that's and Utah also, as we know, really good, really good football team. But they're trying to avoid those days where it feels like they can't throw the ball or they don't have a downfield component. And I think, you know, what was so encouraging for Oregon State early in the year when Chance Nolan was there was he was taking downfield shots and he was able to do that. And Branson really was not. But with Nolan, you also had a lot of turnovers like against USC. But when that downfield passing game was there, it's not like this Oregon State offensive staff doesn't want to take downfield shots or have those big explosive plays. It's that they just couldn't with Branson at quarterback. And now with DJU, it feels like that has been reintroduced. But I think the biggest key, Carter, is you want the offense to look the way it did in those first three games against two teams that, by the way, ended up playing for the Mountain West Championship. You want it to look like that, as it did with Chance Nolan, but take away those interceptions. And I, and I think DJU has the potential to do that. I completely agree. I, I believe his touchdown to interception rate this year was uh, 22 to 7, if, if I'm not mistaken. And that's much better than what Chance Nolan gave. And it's a lot more it's a lot more firepower than what Goldbranson gave you, but it's better ball security than what Nolan gave you. And that in my book is an upgrade because you're getting the best of both quarterbacks. Um, the thing that stands out to me again is his running ability. Talked about chance Nolan as, as a mobile core who you were going to dial up design runs for left and right. Goldbranson came along in that department. Um, but DJU I think is one of the premier dual threat quarterbacks in college football and Oregon state hasn't had something like that as long as I can remember. So I think that's an element um, that he brings to the mix that you weren't going to get from Nolan and Goldbranson either. Um, but uh, again, I go back to, you know, he was a five-star player out of high school. He went to a big time program and to be fair, had success there, even if he didn't live up to every single expectation. And, and even if, if he had some struggles along the way, um, he did a lot of great things there at, at Clemson. And I, I, I just think, again, going to, to what Brian Lindgren and Jonathan Smith have done, designing offenses around what they have, I feel like this is the kind of situation where you can see somebody who has great raw skills thrive because they know how to put quarterbacks successful. Um, it's not like DJ has regressed as a passer. It's it's not like he doesn't have the ability to put the ball on the money 50 yards downfield. Like we know he can do that. Um, so I think it's now it's it's a matter of having a coaching staff and a supporting cast that can help you do why Oregon State again is so attractive because you're going to have some of the best protection in the country from that offensive line. You're going to be handing the ball off to one of the best young running backs in the country. And you have some elite speed at wide receiver, Anthony Gould coming back, Silas Bolden. Oregon State utilizes the tight end with, you know, to an extent that that you don't really see a whole lot of in college football. I think that supporting cast with a, a coaching staff that knows how to dial up very strong offenses. Um, again, I, I feel like that that is, is a situation where you're going to see DJ perform potentially at a level that we've never seen before. You're talking about the mobility that he brings to the table. Are you telling me that you as a Beaver fan are doubting 
and forgetting the elite running ability of Sean Mannion because I I will not I will not stand for that here on Locked On Pack Twelve, Carter. That is uh, just just completely unacceptable. Probably the hey, best mobile. Co- that's, yeah, go that's ahead. back in the day where Oregon State would have a quarterback rush for negative yards <laughs> in a in a season. <laughs> yeah, I th- I think this is the most mobile quarterback Oregon State's had probably since Lyle Moivau. Is that is that is that right? That sound that sounds right to me. That's that's if you don't count Seth Beck, which I personally don't, because he was a, <laughs> a quarterback or a, really it's he was a wide receiver by trade. Ended up going to Texas Tech and played wide receiver there. I, I think he could have played just about every position on the field, but one thing that he was not was a quarterback. <laughs> yeah, a little bit more of a if you're more of a runner than a thrower, then quarterback may not be the position for you. Um, I, I agree that DJU unlocks some new things in Oregon State's offense that they didn't have before. But I, I don't think DJU is a guy you completely restructure the offense around. I think he's someone who you put in a couple new concepts, a couple new plays, a couple new wrinkles that other teams hadn't seen before, rather than someone who you say, we're going to run everything in the offense through him, because I think that would defeat the purpose of kind of bringing him in and why it's it's such a great fit. But I do think you can have some quarterback. I mean, Oregon State hasn't run their quarterback, aside from quarterback sneak, ever, ever under Jonathan Smith, right? Like Jack Coletto is a special, you know, wild. So I think you can introduce a little read option. I don't think you'll see a lot of it. I think you'll see a little. I think you'll see a little more RPO from the shotgun or maybe some, you know, he's got the sort of quick release in his mechanics that could allow for some, you know, Kyle Shanahan-esque uh, RPO sort of stuff. But I, I want to close w- with this, Carter. I, I've long said and continue to believe that Oregon State's model to being a Pac-12 contender and making their first appearance in a conference championship game is to look at Utah and say, what are they doing over there? No, we're not in Salt Lake City. We're in Corvallis, Oregon. But from a schematic standpoint, from a philosophy standpoint, from just kind of a program culture standpoint, I think there are a lot of similarities there, and that's what they're trying to be. I feel like having a player like DJU at quarterback moves you a lot closer to being on on that level, which is something that if if, if everything's been going like this under Jonathan Smith, if you keep doing that and you keep be, being able to add players like this, not just now, but in the future, that's the trajectory that that Oregon State is trying to keep themselves on, and they can do that. Where do you think this move puts them in in getting into that that upper echelon of teams? Yeah, you know, you and I even like before we hit record, and and you know, we we talk over text. We compare Oregon State to Utah all the time, um, and and we say that the resemblance between these programs is is striking. Just you know how they've how they've managed to build themselves. They have great coaching. The cultures are probably the two best in the in the Pac-12. They're quiet. Um, they're very. They're yeah. very. Utah is the quietest two-time Pac-12 champion in the history of college sports. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, again, the trajectory Oregon State is on is very similar to the way Utah built itself up into a Pac-12 title contender. Where, you know, Utah was never down like Oregon State was, but. Um, continually building and winning more and more games on a consistent basis, and then seeing your recruiting follow that path—that um, is the Utah model. And and then I, I think also getting more out of the players you have 
on campus and um, you expect you know as i see him lagging here my, my connection really is is struggling yeah you went a little you went a little fuzzy but, there for for a moment but um, we're gonna sneak this in yeah um I, again I, I i think oregon state and utah it's very similar paths to prominence in the pac-12 um another thing i want to mention too is just I think what Oregon State has accomplished over the last couple of years has positioned itself to be in the new era of the Pac-12, where Utah is probably going to be one of the flag carriers. You know, it's probably going to be a, a an Oregon, Washington, and Utah-centric conference. Yep. Um, and I think Oregon State is is trying to get there and and join that group, and it's important. In, in this new in this new era, you're probably going to be down to ten teams for a year or two. Maybe you get back up to twelve or fourteen or sixteen eventually. But you're going to need schools like Oregon State, like Utah, like potentially Colorado, even to to step up and join that top tier. And I think Oregon State's, um, I think it's kind of on that path now. Obviously, Utah Utah's made it to back to back Rose Bowls. I'm not going to say Oregon State's going to do that in 23 and 24, but I mean, I, I don't think we would have predicted that from Utah before it it really popped. So maybe Oregon State's the next team to do it. But again, like you said, very quiet programs, very proud programs, great culture. It's a, it's a very similar situations. A lot of good things to to say about a program when you're comparing yourself to Utah. I think that's a, I think that's a pretty good place to be. And we're always in a good spot with my man Carter Bain, senior writer and editor at beaverblitz.com thanks for battling through the wind and uh, glad it held up frankly yeah now watch my lights are going to shut off in about 30 seconds <laughs> well you know as long as they let us get the show in, that's that's the yeah. most important thing i appreciate everyone listening i will see you next time and have a wonderful rest of your day